Good morning, Christ Church. Welcome wherever you are around the world. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. It's a privilege to be in worship with you this morning. Even if we're separated by uh, lots of miles, we are together and we are the body of Christ known as Christ Church. I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, if you'd like to, uh, to print out or pull up your Christ Church notes, you can do so on the tab at the top of your screen. There are uh, several blanks that you can fill in today uh, toward the end of the message, and uh, I simply want to let you know that this is available for you if you'd like to be a part of uh, following along in the message today. Well, we're in a teaching series, you know, it's called Cross Life. We are examining the characteristics of Jesus' life, the different characteristics of Jesus' life, and how Jesus lived a life so sacrificial and so selfless that it led him to willingly give his life so that you and I could have life that never ends. You know, and then how we can put all of that into practice in our own life so that we can love, the, love God, love others, and what's the last part? You can say it out loud, live out the gospel life. You know, over the last few weeks, when we started this series, we began by looking at Jesus as God in motion. Yeah, God in motion. Uh, we serve a, a Savior who is, uh, it, it was a traveling, traveling Savior, a nomadic Savior, a, a vagabond Savior who was going from village to village and town to town, all along the roads and meeting people there. In fact, what Jesus did was when he was along the road, he was telling stories. He was telling stories, you know, and the reason reason he told so many stories is because it was the only way that he could really capture the depth and the truth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Then we looked at uh, Jesus as peacemaker, Jesus as peacemaker and how he brings peace in the midst of our troubled souls. And boy, is that not appropriate today that Jesus is our peacemaker, a, a, a God who brings the peace that passes our ability to even understand. That's the kind of peace that Jesus gives. And then last week, we talked about Jesus as the great delegator. You know, I, I, I said that, you know, the moment you, the moment that you say yes to Jesus, you know, when he calls you and you respond, you will never be unemployed. You will always have a, a meaning and purpose for your life because Jesus employs us for ministry and mission. And today, we're going to look at Jesus as lover. We probably don't think of Jesus like that, at least in those terms very often, but he was an incredible lover. And I'm going to explain to you exactly what that means. You know, throughout history, there have been a lot of love stories written, right? And uh, one of the most popular, I guess, and maybe probably one of the most famous is the story of Romeo and Juliet. I'm going to give you a Reader's Digest version of just that. You know, Romeo and Juliet's father hated each other for unexplained reasons. We don't know why. Shakespeare didn't tell us, but they 
despised one another. And in fact, Romeo uh, believed that he was in love with a girl named Rosaline. Rosaline. And uh, she thought, he thought that she was the one. There was no one other than her. And uh, when, when her, his parents, uh, excuse me, when he, he could not follow through with that love, he was depressed and, and, uh, and whatnot because they couldn't be together. So his friends said, you know, Romeo, come on, forget about her. Let's go to the ball and party. Well, they went to the ball. I, I assume it was like a modern-day nightclub, but a lot more sophisticated with nice dresses and bow ties and that kind of thing. But as soon as he saw Juliet, he forgot all about Rosalind, all about her. In fact, her name was never mentioned again. Juliet was like 13 years old, and Romeo was like 16 years old or something like that. They were middle schoolers, middle school age. They met each other only twice, but that was good enough for them. They had planned to get married, middle schoolers planning to get married. But Juliet's parents wanted her to marry some weird dude named Paris, but Juliet said, nope, not going to do that. So she goes to this friar. This was some kind of monk or something. And he gave her this, this potion in order for her to fake her death so that she could then run away with Romeo at a later date. So she takes this potion and everybody thinks she's dead. They even put her into a coffin. But the problem was she didn't tell Romeo. Romeo didn't get the message. So she think, he thinks that she's totally dead. So he kills himself. Now, Juliet wakes up expecting to, to run away and elope with Romeo, but finds that he's dead. So she kills herself. And the story ends with this line. For never was there a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. There it is. Yeah, there have been a lot of great love stories written over time. You know, not only Romeo and Juliet, but Cleopatra and Mark Antony, uh, Lancelot and Guinevere. Those are some famous stories. But here's one that's uh, much more obscure. You probably never even heard of it before. It's the story of a guy named Ted Stollard. Ted Stollard was a, uh, a young man who was turned off by school. He was, he was very sloppy in his appearance. He was quite unexceptional, quite expressionless, emotionless, and most people would have considered Ted slow. Well, he would sit in class and he would stare off into space he would not know that, no one would know that he was there or not. He was unresponsive. And, and all of this really irritated his teacher, Miss Thompson. And it appeared that Miss Thompson really enjoyed using her fat red pen to put the X's beside all of Ted's wrong answers when he was being graded. Well, if only Miss Thompson had studied Teddy's uh, 
school records more carefully because they read this in first grade, said Ted showed promise with his work and attitude, but has a poor home situation. In second grade, it read that Ted could do better. His mother, seriously ill, receives very little help from home. In third grade, it said Ted's a good boy, but far too serious. He's a slow learner, and his mother died this year. In fourth grade, it said this, Ted is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. Well, Christmas arrived, and children were piling gifts uh, that they had brought from home on Miss Thompson's desk. Teddy brought a gift, too. Most were wrapped in very colorful Christmas paper and bows, but Ted's was wrapped in brown paper held together with some scotch tape. Miss Thompson opened each of the gifts and, and allowed the children to see. When, they, when she got to Ted's gift, a gaudy rhinestone bracelet fell out on her desk. Most of the stones were actually missing, and there was a bottle of cheap perfume the children began to snicker and laugh, but Miss Thompson put the, the, necklace, uh, the bracelet on her wrist and dabbed some of the perfume on so that the children could take a whiff of it. Well, when all the other children left, Ted was still there and said, Miss Thompson, I, I hope that you like these gifts that I brought in fact, the, the bracelet looks good on you, and, and you smell just like my mom. And then he left. That day, Miss Thompson saw something in Ted that she hadn't seen before. In fact, she was quite ashamed that she had been so hard on him, and and hadn't taken the time to try to understand why Ted was the way he was. And after Christmas break, she really was a new teacher. She had asked God to forgive her and to help her understand her students even more. And so surprisingly, and maybe not even surprisingly, maybe unsurprisingly, Ted began to show great improvement. He actually caught up with most of his class and, and passed most of his grades. Well, several years later, graduation came and went, and Miss Thompson heard nothing from Ted for several years until she received this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Well, four years, four years later, another note arrived. said, Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I will be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know the university has not been easy, but I like it. Love, Ted. Another four years passed. Another note. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today... I am Theodore Stallard, 
MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact, and I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive today. You are the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Ted. Miss Thompson attended that wedding and sat where Ted's mother would have sat and the compassion that she had showed that young man entitled her now to that privilege. Now, whether that story is true or not, every day we come in contact with people just like Teddy. You know, for some, the hurt that they experience on the, outs, uh, on the inside doesn't show up so much on the outside. And some people even go to great lengths to cover up the hurt and pain that they are feeling on the inside. Just like many people do right now in the face of this coronavirus. Absolutely panicked, some on the inside, but showing a strong, a strong sense on the outside. Maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your children, maybe it's a coworker or a friend. It is that private pain that they live with that really eats away at them, really begins to eat away at their soul. And sometimes that pain that people are experiencing on the inside that eats away at them is caused by sin and failure. If we'd only learn to respond to the, to the hurts of others like Jesus did with compassion and not condemnation, then we could understand how, how we can join Jesus in, in, in being a healer of, of the hurt and pain that other people are experiencing and, and then find that healing in our own life. But to do that, we've got to become lovers of the unlovable, just like Jesus. Here's one more story, and this one right out of the Gospel of John. In fact, uh, you'll find it on the screen as well as on your uh, sermon notes today. Gospel of John chapter 4, you'll see Jesus as the lover of the unlovable. Here it is. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Skyar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given over to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus trod uh, as he was tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to get some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up in eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go and, and get your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah that called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is God's word for us, and we are indeed the people of God. You know, the story that that we just read from the scripture, you know, bears witness the fact that Jesus is an incredible lover, one who, who loves the unlovable. Frankly, he loves people like you and me. He is indeed one who loves the unlovable, and he calls us to do the same. And since he's our example in all things, we need to play, pay close attention to what he shows us and to his leading right here. You know, when you look at the scripture, you know, the woman, you know, from the outside didn't look like she had any issues, didn't look like she had any problems. She looked just like any other woman coming to the well to draw water. In fact, you would never even notice on the outside that if you met her on the street carrying a pot of water, you wouldn't even know that anything was going on with her. Well, you know, but behind her outward appearance, the deep emptiness in her life, a deep emptiness in her heart, a sense of failure, a sense of unforgiveness, she felt unloved, and maybe even that God had forsaken her. All of that was going on under the surface. Her previous five marriages ended in failure, and the man she was living with now wasn't her husband. 
In fact, you know, in that day and time, you just got to own up to the fact that she was an outcast. She came, how do we know that? Look, that woman came to the well in the middle of the day. Did you notice that? She came to the well in the middle of the day. Now, you think, so what? Well, here's the deal. In that day and time, women only went to the well, only went to the well at daybreak. That's when they went, not in the heat of the day, but in the very first thing in the morning, as just as the sun was coming up. In fact, it was, it was, it was a social event to go to the well. Women met there at the well, they got the water for their family, and they talked, they visited, they exchanged news, they exchanged stories, and it was uh, the social event for the women before they all scattered and went back to their homes uh, to use the water that they just drew out of the well. Not only did it protect them from from the heat in the middle of the day, but it was that social event that kept them connected. Well... When did this woman go to the well? Yeah, you said it, in the middle of the day. That's right. Why? Because she was no longer accepted by the women in that community. They didn't want to be near her. They didn't want to be around her. They didn't want to draw water from her. In fact, she was persona non grata in that community. She was an outcast. But what she didn't know when she went up to the well that day to draw water is that her life was about to change. That she was getting ready to meet the Savior of the world, the very one who loves the unlovable. So the question is, what did Jesus do to demonstrate that incredible love for that woman, the compassion that he had? What are the qualities of someone who, who loves like Jesus, someone who loves the unlovable? What does it look like to love like Jesus loved? Well, here's the first quality, and if you've got your notes, you can write this down. But to love like Jesus means to reach across the barriers of prejudice. To reach across the barriers of prejudice. You know, what you probably didn't recognize in that story was that, that Jesus had to travel through Samaria. Okay, what does that mean? Well, you just think about it. The Jews, they despised the Samaritans. Uh, they, in fact, I, I don't think this is too strong a word, but they really hated them. Why did Jews and Samaritans really hate each other? Well, they hated each other because the Samaritans, they intermarried with non-Jews. So, uh, and the Jews believed that, that the, the Jewish faith needed to be pure, that only Jews should marry Jews. And so when Jews Samari- married uh, non-Jews, They were outcast, they were despised, they were rejected uh, by, by society. And if you think about it, why was the story of the Good Samaritan that I told just uh, last week, why, why, or two, a couple of weeks ago, why was that story so shocking to its hearers? Because 
<laughs> because here was a Samaritan who was taking care of the, of the Jewish man who had been beat up and left for dead lying along the side of the road. That was a shocking story. Why? Because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Furthermore, the, <laughs> this woman was uh, a Samaritan, and, and Jesus was a Jew and a rabbi, and no self-respecting rabbi would ever be caught talking to women in public. It just wasn't done. So Jesus, here he is, setting all of those cultural norms aside because this woman had a need that only he could meet. You know, family, listen, you and I have got to learn now in a, in a new way to be in ministry. I mean, you just think about it. You're in your homes or wherever you are. I'm preaching to an empty room. We have got to learn new ways to be in ministry. We need to reach out in, in, in new and different ways. Jesus set aside all the things, all the ways to be in ministry that was culturally acceptable at the time to do something totally new. Speaking to a woman in public, huge barrier break. Breaking down the barriers of prejudice. Uh, having anything to do with a Samaritan, breaking down the barriers of prejudice. You know, you and I need to find ways to break down barriers of prejudice and meet people where they are. Because we've got to offer Christ. We've got to offer Jesus in, in, in this particular time. And, and just think about it. No matter who you are, everybody's got the same basic needs. No matter what their faith is, no matter what the color of their skin is, no matter what their ethnicity is, we all have the same basic needs. We need food, we need clothing, we need shelter, we need affirmation, we need, we need contact. We need to be together. And so here's the second thing. If we're going to learn to love like Jesus, love the, this Jesus, this great lover, if we're going to learn to love like Jesus loved, we need to recognize that the next quality is this, that we need to offer forgiveness and not condemnation. Yeah, that's what we got to do. We've got to offer forgiveness and not condemnation. You know, think about it. That story of Jesus, the great lover, with the Samaritan woman. Jesus knew all about her past. He knew that she was persona non grata in that community. He knew that she had already had five failed marriages, and the woman she was living with now wasn't her husband. She, he knew all of that. And yet, he didn't come there to 
condemn her? What he did was he forgave her. He knew that she had broken God's law. But he didn't condemn her. He forgave her. And if anybody had reason or the right to condemn, it would have been Jesus. But he didn't do it. He showed an incredible love to her. He saw that behind her outward mask, her outward facade, that she was broken. She was desperate. She was desperate to fit in. She was desperate to be accepted. And so he offered her forgiveness, not condemnation. In fact, he ended up offering her, what kind of water did he say that he would give? Think about it. And why don't you say it out loud? What kind of water did Jesus offer her? Living water. That living water was the forgiveness that broke down the, the barriers of prejudice. This living water that offered her life, a life that, that would never end, a life that was eternal. He offered her what nobody else could give. When everybody else was pushing her aside and treating her like a pariah of the community, he offered forgiveness. Living water that never runs dry. And here's the third thing and the last quality I want to share with you today is that what Jesus offered, that is, if you want to be a lover of the unlovable, if you want to love like Jesus does, does, then you need to be able to meet people where they are. Yeah. Meet people where they are. That's a big deal. You know, folks, down deep in her heart, she knew that her life was a mess. Boy, she had, she had come to the, uh, to the well in the middle of the day, certainly hoping not to, not to run into anybody. But who did she run into? <laughs> yes, she ran into Jesus. You know, her secret was now out. If she had secrets before, they were all on the table now. She stood in, the, in, in front of the one who knew everything about her. And instead of offering condemnation, offered forgiveness and compassion. You know, I always found this to be, I don't know, maybe... Um, I always found this to be really incredible about Jesus, and that's this. You know, he didn't say, you know, woman, you get your act together, you get your life together, you get your stuff together, and then come back and we'll have a conversation. You know, he didn't do that. 
He had every right to do it, but he didn't do that. He offered her compassion and forgiveness because her need was now. Her need was now. She needed the living water now. Not sometime later, right then. You know, and the cool thing is, folks, you know, when we come to Jesus, when Jesus calls us and we, we respond, he doesn't call us by first saying, look, you get your stuff together and then you can follow me. You get your act together and then you can come and be my disciple. You get your mess together and then we'll have conversation about maybe, just maybe, you can follow me. He never said that to you. My goodness, if he had said that to me, who knows if I'd have been a follower of Jesus at all. I may not even be one now. If it had said, look, John, you got to get your act together, and then we can have some conversation. Then maybe I'll forgive you. Then maybe I'll show you some compassion. Then maybe we'll, we can have some conversation. We can talk. But he didn't. There was a day in my life when Jesus called me. He called me and said, look, John, I have something you need. You're searching around trying to, to quench your needy thirst, and I can offer you living water. You're trying, to, you're trying to quench your thirst with other things. But I've got some water that if you'll just, if you'll just drink it in, you'll never be thirsty again. That's what Jesus did to me. And, and I got to tell you, you may never have thought about it like this, but when Jesus called you that's what he did for you too he met your need right then and there and you know why he did it because he loves you he loves you more than anybody has ever loved you or is loving you right now? You know, and even in the midst of this pandemic that is spreading across the world like wildfire, he loves you. No one has ever loved you like this. He walks through the valley with you. One of the most memorable, one of the most quoted scriptures of all time is, is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is, I don't have any needs because the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters and he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will listen, fear no evil. Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What is that? It's all because he loves you. He protects you. The rod and the staff of the shepherd protects the sheep. He loves you. He anoints your head with oil and your cup runs over. For surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because he loves you. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, folks, I want to end with this. You know, it's never comfortable to love like Jesus loves. Don't, don't, don't be fooled. A life of following Jesus is not easy. And you know, here's one reason. is because his love... His love is not sweet and sentimental. I want you to think about that for a moment. His love for us is not sweet and, and, as, uh, and sentimental. But it's sacrificial and costly. Will you love like Jesus loves? In a world that is hurting, in a world that is afraid, in a world that is fearful. When we need to keep our physical distance from one another, have you figured out a way in order to, to help your friends and your neighbors? Let me give you two, let me give you two ways that you can, actually I'm going to give you three ways that you can respond right now. First way is we were, we were in contact with our sister church, Rising Hope Mission Church, over on the Route 1 corridor. And the pastor there told us that, that there is an unprecedented demand on their food pantry. You know, Route 1 on, uh, excuse me, Rising Hope on the Route 1 corridor is specifically designed to care for the needs of people who are food insecure and don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. Don't, uh, they, they are, they are desperately poor. And he said that because so many people in that community have lost their jobs because most of them work in the, the service industry, in restaurants and other service providers, minimum wage jobs, and now they have nothing. They've been laid off, and so the, 
the need for food has overwhelmed them and their food pantry is dry because restaurants are no longer uh, serving in-house meals. They don't receive much food any longer from restaurants because our, our uh, grocery stores are, are selling out of many items that they receive very little uh, meats and breads any longer from the grocery stores because they're all bought out. And he said to us, can we count on the people of Christ Church again to provide food for the most vulnerable people in Fairfax County, in Northern Virginia? People who live just down the road from us, they need soup, they need canned goods, baked beans, proteins, uh, whatever that is non-perishable, they need that, and they're desperate for it. Families with children and very little to eat. In fact, one of the things we're doing with food that was provided for us just weeks ago, we provide 150 bagged meals for families and children here in Fairfax County each week. We have a small team, less than 10, who come together to pack these meals and take them to those who are hurting. So one of the ways that you can be in ministry and mission right now is if you're willing, if you can, if you're able to get some canned goods and bring them up to the church and we will take them this week to Rising Hope. We will provide them. In fact, there's a bin right now on the outside of the church door, so if you are within driving distance and you're able to get out of the house, and if you go to the grocery store to get food anyway, if you can bring some by here and just drop them off in front, you don't even have to touch a door, you don't have to, you don't have to come inside the building, just drop it off in the bin. That would be incredibly helpful. The next thing that you can do is on our website, uh, I have a letter uh, that I printed to call Letter to, to Our Neighbors, Letter to Our Neighbors, where if you are able and uh, comfortable uh, copying this letter, personalizing this letter and, and handing it out, putting it in the mailboxes of those uh, there in, on your street, if you can do that, it just says that that you are available if they are afraid to get out of the house, if they can't get out of the house, if they can't go get their food, if they can't get their groceries, if they can't get their medicines, if they have a specific necessity need, that you or your family or this church will help them out. What a way to, to say that we are here as a church family to our community. And the last thing, as I told you last week, we're starting this new thing called 19 for 19. We're leaning into the COVID-19 and saying, look, we will not be afraid. We will not fear. We will stand with the church and ensure that ministry in this new paradigm goes on. And 19 for 19, you'll find it right on the website. It's, a, it's a, on the bar at the top of the page. You can click on it, and it says, I will, I will commit as best I can, if I'm able, only if I, if I can and only if I'm able to, to contribute 
per week for 19 weeks to see us into the summer to ensure the ministry of this church stays strong. Rosemary and I have already done that. In fact, uh, there are more than 50 of our families here at Christ Church that have done that over the last week. I am hoping for at least 50 more. If you're able, if you can, if it's not too much of a burden on you, 19 for 19, that's $76 a month. That's $361 for uh, over uh, 19 weeks. If you can do that above and beyond your regular offering, that will really help us as a church to be in ministry and to do the things that we need to do to reach out in love and concern to our community and the world. Why? Because Jesus loves us. The great lover has come to offer compassion, forgiveness, and to break down the barriers of prejudice. God bless you. Let's join our hearts together as we pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, right now in Jesus' name, we give you thanks and praise for your presence in our life, for the privilege we have to be together. Thank you so much, Lord, that even over the miles by physical distance, we are together as the body of Christ. May we love, Lord, like Jesus loves. Because we have been so loved, may we love others. May we lean into this love that has changed the world. Your love has rocked the world we live in and is really, truly the greatest love story of all time. As great as Romeo and Juliet is, your love story is the greatest of all time. For you love us unconditionally. And we pray, God, that because we are so loved, that we would reach out in love and concern and love like you, breaking down the barriers of prejudice, offering forgiveness and not condemnation, and meeting people like you met us right where we are. Thank you. We are truly grateful, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.